In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Friends, we're in our fifth week, our penultimate week uh, of our uh, Racism and Repentance series. I look for any opportunity I can to say the word penultimate. It's one of my favorite words. Um, you can look it up later if you don't know what it means. Um, <laughs> and just a brief review. Um, week one, we talked about sin being not just the breaking of arbitrary rules, but it's about injustice. It's about violence toward uh, one another. Sin, week two, sin is not just an individual thing, but it's a systemic thing. It's a corporate thing. It's something that happens uh, to groups, uh, not just to, as individuals. Week three, we talked about the gospel being a gospel of reconciliation, not just uh, some sort of stamp of approval from God. And then week four, last week, we talked about repentance being a corporate reality, a corporate solidarity with the sins of our ancestors, with the sins of our community, which is something that we did, of course, this morning as we um, prayed a prayer of confession uh, in solidarity with, um, with others. And so today, these are all like, overlapping uh, issues uh, that help us deal with uh, racism uh, in our culture. And today we want to talk about this, that justice must lead to joining. Justice must lead to joining. The de desire of God is that every barrier to intimacy and communion would be overcome. And when God transforms, when God moves across these boundaries to intimacy and communion, new life, new creation springs up in our midst. Um, a couple notices before we dive into the sermon. Um, I have relied, number one, I have relied heavily on the theological commentary of an African-American scholar named Willie James Jennings for this sermon. So most of these thoughts are really his, and so in some ways he is preaching to you today. So I just want to say that. Um, I'm really grateful for his voice, um, and uh, I thought about just reading the theological commentary to you, but wanted to make it a little bit more relevant. But um, we're going to be preaching, so that's the first notice. The second notice is this, that we're preaching from Acts 10, which is the long reading that uh, Olivia read for us. Thank you, Olivia. We challenged you, and all of us were challenged. Uh, but I wanted, I wanted us to hear this whole story because there's so much in it. I couldn't figure out where to cut it off, and so I thought, well, let's just read the whole thing. So we read Acts 10. Um, it's, this story is obviously the gospel coming to the Gentiles through Peter's uh, and Cornelius's relationship there. Um, and I want to thank Andrea Reinhardt for some conversations that we had this week that helped me clarify this. And this is the issue I want to make sure that we just flag right up front. We can't map our current racial cultural climate onto the Jew-Gentile relationship, not directly. Let's be careful we don't do that, okay? Um, our current, uh, there's a lot we could say about this, and if we want to, we could get into it. You know, give me an email, uh, send me a text or something, we can talk about it. But we can't map that uh, directly onto Jew-Gentile relationships in the ancient world. So because of this, it feels a little risky for me to preach this. However, uh, I think that God has something to say to us today about transgressing boundaries to establish new intimacy, to establish new belonging in Christ with those that we find ourselves surprised to be with. So here we go. Are we ready? All right, this is Acts 10, just a little commentary on what's happening here in Acts 10 and an invitation for us to discern what God is saying to us through it. Here's the good news for today, friends. In Christ, God's boundary-transgressing desire for intimacy is placed within us. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit by stepping across boundaries of purity or protection or practicality in order to join in communion with those we find ourselves surprised to be with, new creation springs up in our midst. Uh, 
What boundary is God inviting you to transgress for the sake of intimacy? Acts 10 starts with Cornelius searching for Peter. Cornelius is a powerful man. He's a Gentile, who, but he fears God, and he prays, and he is told by an angel in a vision to search for a man named Peter. So he sends slaves on his behalf, and they begin moving towards the disciple of Jesus. And as they do so, they're moving towards the overturning of the old social order that makes them pawns of a powerful man. The scene shifts. It's Peter. It's the next day. Cornelius' slaves are on the way. Peter goes up to the roof to pray. He becomes hungry, and he falls into a trance. And into Peter's hunger and prayer, God comes to build the future. But he comes in a horrible way, <laughs> at least according to Peter. Uh, the sheet descends from heaven, and Peter beholds a sheet that's filled with the whole world. It's known and unknown tastes. It's clean and unclean. It's appealing and revulsive. It's desired and despised. Arise, Peter, a voice says, kill and eat. Now, there's something we could, we could say a lot about this, but we, we have to understand that kill and eat is not just what we think about today. On this side of colonialism, we think of our animals as resources. We think of them in utility terms, right? We think of our animals as tools or natural resources. But humans used to understand their animals in a completely different way. They were one with their animals. And so the touching and the eating of an animal of another people was to bring that people into yourself. It was intimacy. It was an act of transgressing a boundary. And so to, it was an, it was to eat the animals of another people was to join yourself to that people in a radical act of intimacy and communion where now our, our flourishing is bound up with each other, in each other's bodies. So it was a radical act of bodily communion. And so kill and eat, as the voice says to Peter, is basically to say, join them. Join them. It's a communal word, not just a consumptive word. Peter is being asked not to possess, but to become part of a people he did not imagine he would be part of before eating. This is the ultimate, you have heard it said, but I say to you, because God is transgressing his own law here. The purity laws were set up by God for a good reason, but here God is saying something has happened that is so radical in Christ that now a new situation has arrived, and I want you to cross this boundary and become part of these people. This is the new social order that we participate in in Christ. Initially, Peter resists the divine command. Of course he does. Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything that is unclean. He's not disobedient like Jonah, who's read in our Old Testament passage, but he is resistant, and understandably so, because his obedience is to Torah. Of course I'm not going to eat anything that's unclean. What's this voice coming from? You can imagine the crisis for Peter. <laughs> what is going on here? Because he's been obedient to Torah, but now his obedience has to go into new territory, into uncharted territory where the Holy Spirit is leading him. God is upending these old categories of pure and impure, holy and profane, clean and unclean, just like Jesus did in our gospel passage, where he upended the boundary between Jew and Gentile. Jew and Samaritan. He upended the boundary between male and female by crossing in his thirst to ask for a drink. A new life at the end of that passage. I wish we could read all of John 4 too, but at the end of that passage, new life springs up for a whole town 
because of this crossing of a boundary. So he resists at first, but God is inviting Peter to expand his vision. And the voice says, what God has made clean, do not call unclean. God's inviting Peter into a risky new way of being faithful to the God of Israel. The risk of transgressing these previously established boundaries to find intimacy, to find communion in new relationships, new people, different people that we had not imagined God would send across our paths and into our lives. The scene continues. The Gentiles arrive. It's funny to me that God makes sure Peter doesn't have too much time to think about this. Here's the vision. Hey, they're at the door. Boom. Standing at the, yes, ding dong. Standing at the door is the future that God is desiring Jew and Gentile together joined as one new people. So the command to Peter is direct and it's stunning. Don't analyze this. Don't critique this. Don't think too hard about this. Just go with these men. Amazing. Amazing. The world is turning upside down and Peter's allowing himself to be turned upside down with it, trusting that God is at work in this turning. So the next day they all leave for Cornelius' house and time slows down here in the passage so that we can see what's happening. We can participate in and witness the unexpected. Peter steps across the boundary. He enters the Gentile home. He goes into the home of Cornelius, into a room where Cornelius' friends and family are waiting. The stage is set. The world is about to change. God is transgressing boundaries here in this intimate space, in this illicit meeting of those who should not be together. Cultural codes, social rules, normal applications of theology, they're all suspended in this encounter, and no one knows what's going to happen next. Peter is now caught up in God's revolution of communion. God has pushed him over the boundary that separated Jewish bodies from Gentile bodies. Yes, they shouldn't be together, Peter says, but God has taught me just yesterday that I should not call unclean what God has called clean. This is monumental in the history of the world. And it's not, it's worth saying, it's not some universal God that's finally breaking off of the, the boundaries of provincial Israel. It's precisely the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who is transgressing his own boundaries in order to bring about the fullness of his vision for Israel. So the spirit of Jesus is now drawing Jew and Gentile together, not moving past one to get to the other, not choosing one and rejecting the other, but precisely bringing both together as one new body, one new social order, in Christ. This meeting is the new social order. Jew and Gentile will share in one spirit. This is the desire of God made known in the Son, realized now in the Spirit. And friends, this is our good news for today. In Christ, God's boundary transgressing desire for intimacy is placed within us. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit by stepping across boundaries of purity or protection or practicality in order to join in communion with those we find ourselves surprised to be with, New creation springs up in our midst. What boundary is God inviting you to transgress for the sake of intimacy? The story continues. We learn that the posture in which we transgress boundaries is crucial here. Peter doesn't come as a colonizer. Peter doesn't come as a teacher. Peter comes first as a listener. The new order requires more listening than it does speaking. Listening is the key currency of this new social order. Listening is the engine that's going to operationalize communion 
and deep intimacy. So Peter first listens to Cornelius share about God, how God is speaking to him. He says, may I ask why you sent for me? And he listens to what God has been doing in a Gentile's life. Cornelius shares what God has spoken to him. And then into this divine economy of sacramental listening, Peter speaks and Cornelius and his family listen, all poised towards this new thing. Peter preaches the gospel here, but notice that he preaches it in a new way because of his listening. I truly understand that God shows no partiality. He proclaims the death and resurrection of Jesus as the defining moment of all history, as the deliverance and restoration of the whole world, as the death of death, as the incarnation of God in the flesh for the life of the world. And before Peter can even get to the altar call, I'm sure he had a good one set up, God interrupts him, God moves. Again, divine desire can't be held back. And the spirit rushes on Cornelius and his household takes hold of them and brings them into the desire of God, witnessed through tongues. Peter and his companions are shocked. They are astonished at what they're seeing. Nothing could have prepared them for this. We share in the same spirit? Jesus has brought together and bound together Jew and Gentile as one people. So they're baptized and their bodies participate in sacramental union with one another through baptism. But perhaps the greatest event of this story comes right at the end. Then they invited him to stay on for several days. We tend to miss these words, but they capture, I think, God's desire. This is what God wants. Jews wanting to be with Gentiles. Gentiles wanting to be with Jews. And together they eat and they live in peace. This is the beginning of life together. Later, of course, chaos will ensue. Uh, Peter will be questioned about this scandalous, illicit meeting. But now, in a quiet corner of the Roman Empire, in the home of a centurion, a rip in the fabric of space and time has opened up, and the world will never be the same. Friends, God is moving to, to transgress boundaries for the sake of intimacy. God is calling us to, too, to join others and to enter into their, like, uh, their language and their life, becoming one with them, becoming lovers of those outside ourselves. So God is calling us to what Willie Jennings calls an inverted exceptionalism that draws us outward instead of inward, that causes us to lay down our lives for others rather than consolidate power. It's an inverted exceptionalism that now allows us as Gentiles to see the world as God desires, as concrete, specific sites of love where the Spirit would send us to go, announcing in and through life together God's desire for joining and communion. Friends, in Christ, God's boundary-transgressing desire for intimacy is placed within us. And as we yield to the Holy Spirit by stepping across boundaries of purity or protection or practicality, in order to join in communion with those we find ourselves surprised to be with, new creation springs up in our midst. What boundary do you sense God inviting you to transgress for the sake of intimacy? I've intentionally made this sermon a little bit more evocative. I want to see what the Holy Spirit is inviting you to do, but I will say this, that whiteness and white supremacy creates boundaries, it creates these kinds of boundaries, and we're caught up in them whether we like it or not. Whiteness affects what we think of as normal and desirable and decent and safe. Whiteness makes us feel our racial belonging more than our Christian belonging. It makes us fear those who are different from us. 
It makes us prefer to be with those who look and talk and act like us. These are boundaries that keep us from intimacy. Or maybe you're noticing historical or generational trauma in your body that makes you tense up in the presence of other bodies, makes you resist being present to the sufferings of people of color. These are boundaries that keep us from intimacy. Maybe it's just something simple like a distaste for other cultures or languages or even foods. A preference to be with people who make a similar amount of money as you. Boundaries that keep us from intimacy. Maybe it's simply the fear and shame that just keeps you from being your true self around others. Social anxiety that keeps your soul locked away rather than being yourself and giving others the gift of your presence. Boundaries that keep us from intimacy. So that's the question today, friends. What boundary do you sense God inviting you to transgress for the sake of intimacy today? Justice must lead to joining. Let's allow ourselves this morning to feel God's desire for intimacy stirred up in us. Let's come to this table in a few moments hungry for God's presence and allow the communion we encounter at this table to draw us into communion with others, transgressing boundaries with a posture of listening and learning so that new creation can spring up in our midst as God draws us together into divine life. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.